Another thing I like about fall is that it's a time of transition. And during that time of transition, as we change over from a busy summer into our winter routines, it's a perfect time to take a good look at our lives and do some self-evaluation and see if you're going in a good direction or if there's some things that you want to do differently. And that's where I want to focus some attention uh, this morning. As we look at some sections from the Bible, I want to encourage each of you to do some introspection and some self-evaluation and, uh, and consider um, what am I doing right and what do I need to change to make progress in the direction that I want to go and, and toward where I want to be in the future. And uh, we all want to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be, right? But growth and improvement are not automatic. Um, we need to think about areas in our lives that we want to change and decide to make those changes. And there's a lot of different things you might want to change uh, about the way that you're living, but this morning what I want to take a look at is some of the things that the Bible teaches us about personal spiritual improvement or growth toward spiritual maturity. And see, all of us start out our lives pretty far from God. And uh, we tend to be selfish, greedy, lustful, and as we grow towards spiritual maturity, we become more humble, we learn to serve others, we have financial contentment, and we gain control over our passions rather than being controlled by them. We start out ignorant of God and his ways, and as we grow over time, we get to know him more and we get to have a personal relationship with him. That's what I mean by spiritual growth, to move from our sinful state of separation and ignorance and to grow closer to God, both in the way that we behave and in our relationship with him. Now, there's a lot of landmarks that we could put on that line, a place of important points, important steps along the way. Um, but by far the most important landmark in each of our lives, in each of our spiritual journeys, is that point at which we surrender our lives to God, repent of our sins, and put our faith entirely in Jesus' sacrificial death to save us from sin and guilt. Now, probably there's some of you here that haven't come to that point yet. You're still kind of uh, on the left-hand side of that, uh, that mark. You're at a place in your spiritual journey where you're searching for the truth, and you're looking for inspiration, and, uh, and you're still figuring out what it would mean to really make that full commitment and surrender to God. And, and that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Jesus warned people strongly that they should consider the cost before um, choosing to follow him and deciding to become one of his disciples. But where it becomes a problem is when you stay over on that side and you never make the leap and you never cross over and get on the other side of the line. Um, some people move back and forth a little bit on the line. Sometimes they're getting a little further away from God and sometimes they're getting a little closer to God but they never actually make the commitment and, and make that full uh, commitment to Christ. Um, you might go to church for years and make little moves toward God, but always hold back part of your life or always hold back a part of your trust and never really give yourself completely to God and never reach that point. In fact, it's quite common, I think, for uh, people to be a really nice person 
and to grow in ethical and emotional maturity and to look like you're way over this side somewhere, but never really make that full commitment. So I encourage each of you to take this opportunity here as we're taking some time to reflect on our lives and uh, take this opportunity to take a good look at yourself, soberly consider which side of the cross are you really on. And if you haven't yet crossed that point, ask yourself, what is holding you back? What's stopping you? Then work on moving along the line of growth until you're ready to make that decision and surrender your life to Christ. Now, for a lot of us here this morning, uh, we've already made that choice sometime in our past, and we're on the right-hand side of that line. But, uh, but for some of us, we act like crossing that point that is our, our initial salvation experience, that's, that's the whole thing. That's all there is to being a Christian. Uh, some of us, we pray the prayer of repentance, we receive forgiveness, and that's where our spiritual growth ends. Uh, and after that, we just go to church most of the weeks, put some money in the offering, try to get rid of a few bad habits, and that's all there is to being a Christian. But that is not the Christian life. We are meant to be constantly striving to grow more and more in holiness and knowledge of God. Here's the way the Bible puts it. And now this is, it's the Apostle Paul speaking here. He is one of the greatest missionaries of all time, author of 13 books of the Bible, And here's here's what he has to say in Philippians chapter 3. He says, uh, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That's a point that Paul is really emphasizing in this, in this passage. He's saying, I have not arrived at my goal. What does he mean? Is he not yet a Christian? Has he, has he not experienced salvation? Is he in a condition of guilt before God, not having received forgiveness for his sins? Is that what he means when he says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it? No, of course, of course not. Clearly, Paul has experienced salvation from his sins. Jesus' blood has been applied to his account. He is destined for eternity in heaven with God. But there is something more that Paul is striving for. Um, It's not just something that's a little extra either. Like a little, you know, I've got the main thing, but I need a little icing on the cake there just to get this little bonus. No, it's, it's something that is the very thing for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He does not yet have. So let's keep reading here. Verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the Christian life. It is a life of constantly striving toward spiritual maturity and growth. It's an urgent seeking after God. In fact, the pace of growth should accelerate after the time of salvation, not slow down. The Bible teaches that this is an expectation for mature believers. The next verse there, verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then God will make that clear to you. If you're already mature, then you should be striving toward 
maturity with all your effort. Now, uh, movement on the line, drawing closer to God and godliness should be a goal for all of us all the time. This theme is all throughout the Bible, and and I, I just want to look at a couple of other places in the Bible where we see the same idea. One is the book of Hebrews where it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We need to be moving beyond the basics. Understanding and following the foundational teachings of the Bible, that's necessary, but that is not the whole thing. We need to get beyond the basics. 1 Timothy chapter 4, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So let me be as clear as I can here on what the Bible is teaching us in these sections and what I'm trying to say we should do about it. The Christian life is about growth in godliness. It's about moving away from selfishness and sin and ignorance of God and moving toward servanthood, holiness, and the knowledge of God in relationship with him. So in light of this teaching of scripture, I encourage you to ask two questions about your spiritual life. First question is, have you been striving toward spiritual growth? And the second question is, have you grown closer to God? Now, obviously, these two questions are pretty closely tied together. However you answer the first one is really probably going to determine how you answer the second one, too. If you're not striving to grow, it's unlikely that you've really seen significant growth. Spiritual growth takes work. And that's why the Bible compares it to physical exercise, which also takes work. On the other hand, if you answered yes to the first question, if you have been striving to grow there's a good chance that um, you have also seen some growth. If we are striving to grow, we should be growing. However, it's not quite that simple. There's a lot of us who really want to grow spiritually, and we're doing some things to help our spiritual growth, but for some reason we aren't seeing the results in our lives that we hope for. We still get tripped up by the same temptations, and we don't really feel that much closer to God. And there can be a number of reasons that we don't see the growth we want, but I'm going to talk about one reason in particular this morning that the Bible emphasizes. Um, And so in in order to to illustrate this, first I want to tell you a story about something from my own life that happened uh, that uh, that really illustrates this principle of spiritual growth. Now, I've been uh, been a runner ever since I was a kid, uh, and I ran on school teams uh, when I was in school, and I was pretty serious about it when I was in college. I ran cross-country and track, and I, I did fairly well. Um, When I graduated from college at 21, I was coming off of what was by far my best running season. I had got better every year, uh, but from my junior to senior years, I really made a big, big leap of improvement there. Um, I wasn't a big star runner, but I did did all right. My senior year, I was a team captain. I was named to the all-district team, qualified me to run at the 1992 NAIA National Cross-Country Running Championship. And when I left school, I had plans that I was going to keep running and keep competing. And in fact, I knew that the very best long-distance runners actually peak uh, when they run the best times of their lives in their uh, mid to late 20s or even into their 30s. 
So, uh, in fact, the, the average age of track and field athletes at the 2002 Olympics on the U.S. team, average age 26. The U.S. track team had uh, people in their 40s at the Olympics. So I was only 21. I figured I've got at least five to 10 years of continuing to improve before I reach my peak. And, uh, and so I was thinking that, you know, as I keep on improving and getting faster, I could go out and win some local road races, uh, maybe even get a local running shop to sponsor me, and not be a professional runner, but at least, you know, get some free shoes or something, you know, from a, from a shoe shop, and, and be a, like a sponsored runner. But guess what? That did not happen. Actually, what happened uh, was that I most definitely peaked in my last year of college when I was 21. Not only did I not continue improving year to year, I actually got a lot slower after I left school. Uh, I never again came anywhere close to the times that I ran in that senior year of cross country. So what happened? How can we explain that? Was I some kind of a statistical anomaly where I peaked at 21, where most people peak five to 10 years later? Is that what the problem was? No, as you might guess, the real problem was that there was a huge drop-off in my training. Um, when I was in college, I was running 50 or 60 hard miles every week. We did sprints on the track. We did mile repeats on really big hills. I did workouts that were so difficult and painful, they're probably in violation of the Geneva Convention Against Torture. <laughs> and after college, I was still running quite a bit, but I didn't run like that. But really, my lack of training is not the explanation either for my lack of improvement. Because we have to take it back a step and ask, why didn't I train like that after I graduated? And uh, so the obvious answer is that I, I just couldn't motivate myself to, to train that hard after I graduated. But then the question is, well, how did I motivate myself to train like that before? Well, and the answer is that I did not motivate myself to train that hard before. I was motivated by a team. In college, I had a team and a coach that helped me to train, and we worked hard together, and we suffered through those workouts together. We raced together, and we won together. And I had success in running because I had a team. When I left school, I didn't have a team. <laughs> my years of consistent improvement stopped. My training and my performances dropped off pretty quickly, and I just wasn't nearly as good a runner by myself as I was when I was on a team. So here's my point. Spiritual growth works pretty much the same way. It just doesn't work very well when we try to do it alone. When God calls us to a relationship with him, he also calls us to be part of a new community of people who also know him. And the Bible consistently teaches that we need each other in order to live out the Christian life. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is, the people at the church of Ephesus, as a church, 
as a community, were being built together to become God's intention for them. In a couple of places in the Bible, it compares us to, uh, as believers, we're compared to parts that make up a body. Uh, First in the book of Romans, it says this, Romans chapter 12, it says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then in 1 Corinthians, the same metaphor, he says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Now, if each of us is a part of a body, what happens to a foot or a lung if it gets separated from the body? Does it grow and thrive? No, in a short time it dies. And the Bible goes on to say, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If we are going to grow and thrive as Christians, we must be attached to one another. If you want to do well, you need a team. Another place we see this in the Bible is in the many instructions about how we are supposed to live that require us to be in a community in order to fulfill them. I'm just going to run through several of these here. Galatians chapter 2, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. In order to do any of those things, we must be in community, in relationship with one another. The Christian life cannot be lived by yourself. You need a team. And you're not going to experience real growth and progress as a Christian if you're trying to do it on your own. What we need is this. It says uh, koinonia, and it's usually translated into English as fellowship, but biblical koinonia is deeper and more significant than what we usually mean uh, when we talk about fellowship. Often what we mean by fellowship is food and casual conversation. But, uh, But real koinonia, real biblical fellowship gets deeper than that. It involves all the things that were in those verses we just looked at. Devotion to one another. Forgiving one another, carrying each other's burdens, humility, patience, bearing with one another, loving one another. See, real koinonia is a close spiritual relationship of mutual encouragement. And that is the kind of relationship that existed among the believers in the early days of the church. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, they were devoted not only to studying the Bible, but also to fellowship, which included eating together and praying together. And so that that fellowship, that koinonia that we are looking for, gets beyond surface-level chit-chat. People who are experiencing Christian fellowship are able to ask for prayer for real issues in their lives. Not just the safe areas, you know, health and finances and things like that. We can really talk about the real things. 
In real koinonia, people have genuine empathy for one another. We care about one another's lives. The Bible describes it like this. It says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. People who are experiencing this fellowship care about each other and look out for one another. They really know each other and are known by each other. And it's in the context of this kind of fellowship that much spiritual growth takes place. So now here's the thing. If you want to experience this, coming here to church on Sunday mornings is not enough. See, most weeks we have like 200 people here on a Sunday morning, and coming here is not being in fellowship, it's being in a crowd. Now, don't get me wrong, being part of a large Sunday morning is great. We're able to worship God together, led by a great team of musicians. We, uh, we receive quality teaching from God's Word together. Uh, I love our Sunday morning worship. But this really is not a time for genuine relationships. Some weeks we take a few minutes, you know, we, we, we greet each other and things, uh, but mostly we just sit in rows and face forward. And that's not, uh, that's not relationship. We might visit over coffee after the service, but most of those conversations don't really get into the deeper things of life. If this is the extent of your relationships with other Christians, then you don't really have a team. You don't really have koinonia. But if we don't experience real fellowship on Sunday mornings, then what are we supposed to do? Uh, where can we find this kind of fellowship at Clearwater Church? And there's a few different places, but the biggest place, and the one that I want to emphasize right now, uh, the biggest place where Clearwater provides environments for this kind of deeper fellowship is in the journey groups. And uh, when it comes to true fellowship, smaller is better than bigger, and circles are better than rows. And our journey groups include, yeah, they include a time of teaching, but that's not really the most important part of the group. Um, group meetings also include times of casual conversation, interaction, but that's not really the most important part of the group either. In journey groups, we interact with the teaching. We discuss things. We interact with each other about the Bible and about the ideas that the teaching raises. And that's where most of the real learning takes place. In groups, we share about our lives and we pray for one another. And that's where we can have real fellowship. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's what we're aiming at in our journey groups. Our groups are meant to do life together, sharpening one another, building one another up, doing all the things that we've talked about this morning helping each other to grow. No group does all this perfectly. It's not like you just uh, sign up for the group and walk in the first week and, uh, and automatically great fellowship and spiritual growth will result. It takes time to develop those relationships and, uh, and get to know people. And you're probably not going to work in, walk into your first group and immediately have that deep bond with everybody who's there. But if you want to experience koinonia and you want to experience the spiritual benefits that come from it, it's going to take a commitment. 
Remember that verse uh, from Acts we looked at a couple minutes ago? It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It takes devotion to fellowship and devotion to one another in order to experience the real Christian life. So if you're already part of a group of Christians who are committed to helping one another to grow, uh, lean into it. That's great. If you're already in, in a group like that, be committed to it. And that might be a formal ministry of the church. It might be some of kind of a more informal group of friends that you have. But uh, if you already have some brothers and sisters in Christ to get together with, make the most of those relationships. Be devoted to the people in your group. Strive together toward the goal of greater levels of godliness. But if you don't yet have a group like that, I encourage you to sign up for one of our journey groups today. But become part of a group. Seek after that koinonia fellowship that can be so meaningful for spiritual growth. As leaders at Clearwater Church, we want to emphasize that this is what we do as a church. We expect that if you're part of our church, you're going to join a journey group and be a part of it. Um, That's just part of the way that we do things here. I want to conclude with a final passage from Scripture that emphasizes the benefit of living life together and the danger of trying to live it alone. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. It says, If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's not talking about rope. It's talking about us and how when you have companions, when you have people who are with you, when you have a team, you will not be easily broken and you will be able to withstand hard things in your life without breaking and you will be able to succeed to a much greater extent in your goals and your, uh, your passions and your, your desires to grow and learn and go closer to God. Um, I just want to conclude by saying uh, one more time, you really need a team and others need you to be on their team. 